This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Books Flow, Daredevil Born Again. It's hard to be fair when you fight. It's hard to be nice when you lose. Where's your thunder and lightning? Hello, welcome to my fanboy Booksplode, Daredevil Born Again. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. 
It's so good. <laughs> we are, we are here. Um, Booksplode, this is our biannual, uh, biannual. It's our bi-monthly. Every other month, <laughs> we do a Booksplode, which we talk about a graphic novel, a collected edition, a trade paperback, whatever you want to call it, a single uh, volume of a series. And this month is Born Again from Frank Miller and David Mazzicelli. You had never read it, and I'd read it a long time ago and basically didn't remember it. So this was basically like coming into it fresh for both of us, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Born Again uh, is a collection of issues, Daredevil number 227 through 233, and it also includes, oddly, at least the collection we read, 226 at the end. So it really fucks everything up, because you're reading the, the issue from beforehand at the end of it. I think they should have put it at the beginning. Yeah, it was, it was a weird decision, at least in this volume. Or just not even included. I think they included it because it was Miller and Mazzuccelli, kind of. It was Denny O'Neill and Miller. It was their first, first collaboration. Yeah, it, it, but it wasn't... <sighs> It wasn't of the piece. It's just what didn't no. it didn't look. Well, kind of, I mean, like it, it still led into it because, like, we got to meet Glory and and like sure, I, yeah. Anyway, but either way, it's not really important to the Born Again two twenty seven to two thirty three. And so let's before we get into the book itself, and we'll talk about how great it is. Interesting facts about this. I was looking it up after reading it. Uh, yeah, I, I have some too. But, so crazily enough, this came out in nineteen eighty six, the same year Miller did The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I mean, is it the best year anyone's ever had in comics? I thought about this question. I thought long and hard, and as I was reading this, I said, "You know, like this is this is making a real claim to fame that Frank Miller, you know, at this point, I don't I don't know if he's the best writer in comics, but he's clearly set a tone that has been copied since then. One could say even more than Alan Moore did. Yes, in terms of people trying to ape a style and try to keep a thing going. You know, eighty six of the year that comics changed, blah blah blah. At the same time, what he did with art." Over in Dark Knight Returns at the same time, I don't I don't know that that's a one two punch that's ever been other than Stan and Jack. Yeah, no, absolutely. Other than the creation and the the Golden Age, I can't imagine anyone having a year in which they put out two works of the caliber. I mean, the people I, are still talking about what I would consider the best Batman story of all time, and what I think you have to consider probably the best Daredevil story of all time. Yeah, I texted you. I think it's well, as I was reading this, I was like, I'm 30 pages into this, this is the best Daredevil story I've ever read. I couldn't put it down. I was ready to. Talk to you about it immediately, yep. and then we can just spend the next three or four pick of the weeks talking about it instead of re- sure. whatever else comes out because it's not going to be as good as this. It, I really, I did, I did think I was just like, what is the point of comics after this? <laughs> so the inciting incident of Daredevil: Born Again is that and this is we're going to get into why I'm mentioning this now is that Karen Page, Daredevil's longtime on and off girlfriend, is strung out in heroin doing adult films to pay for her habit, and she sells. Daredevil's identity to the sleazy guy she's with. She's got an envelope with Daredevil's real name in it, and he's, she sells it to him for heroin. He sells it up the chain to Kingpin, and that leads the whole story off. But what's interesting about that it's is... a page and a half. Yeah. What's interesting about that is Karen Page hadn't been in the books since 1972. This oh, was her wow. first time back. So I, I looked this up, because I, I couldn't remember how she'd gotten into heroin in adult films. She was Matt and Foggy's assistant. She started dating Matt. They were on and off... You know, in relationships. And then in 1972, Daredevil number 86, she left to go to Hollywood to be an actress. And then she does not appear in the book again until 227. That's great. That is crazy. She went off. She made a couple of appearances. She was in, in a Ghost Rider series because she was in a movie with Johnny Blaze. So they had an adventure together, which is crazy, in 1975. So three years later. So this would have been when Frank Miller was a kid. And in 78, she was in a Marvel 2-in-1 adventure with The Thing, also taking place in Hollywood. But she hadn't been in Daredevil, and she hadn't been seen since 78. So this is 78 to 86. She hadn't been seen in comics. This is her first appearance back. She's strung out in heroin doing adult films. 
and selling Daredevil's identity to, to up the chain to Kingpin. This is a crazy callback from Frank Miller. Frank Miller, who, by the way, was 29 years old, and David Masicelli was 26 years old when they made this book. Oh, you know what? The, the closest thing I could come with, and I was thinking about somebody being, A, pretty young, and B, doing stuff that was, that was great, is like Garth Ennis around the time yeah. of Preacher and Hitman and Hellblazer. Yes, that would be similar. But even those are not, other than Preacher, they're not close to iconic. In fact, not even Preacher, really. So the main story here is that, as we said, Karen Page sells Matt's identity, goes up to Kingpin, he gets it, and he, he proceeds to systematically dismantle Matt's life on every level, and Matt spirals out of control and has to become born again uh, to get his life back. And this is amazing. It's really, on all levels, I mean, Masicelli would, a couple of years later, do Batman Year One in a very distinct style, and then we would see him again with a serious polyp in a completely different style, and both of those styles are in this book. All right, let's... let's, let's Including, let's like, five other styles he does in this book. It's going to be it's gonna be real hard not to bounce around. We're going to be so bouncing around, I think, so, I think. I know, but let's let's talk about the story and the writing. Okay. Um, and, and some of these things will meld. The thing I noticed about the writing... The art does complement this quite a bit. It's a pretty ruthless style of story in that it makes up a lot of ground and it takes big steps. What I mean is that the things that happen tend to happen really quickly, really sort of efficiently in a comic book form. And then we hang out in moments for a while. But if you, you know, like, like I was saying at the beginning, you know, it's a page and a half. It's already gone up to Daredevil in the chain. By the end of that first issue, his life's been ruined. You know, that happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things where I was like, he's really being economical and not showing you every detail about things to get the story moving to where he wants to spend time. This is the period where he, the Bronze Age is ending and the Modern mm-hmm. Age is, is being invented in this book along with The Dark Knight and Watchmen. So we're seeing a whole new storytelling technique. If you, if you read 226 in comparison, where Denny O'Neill was the co-writer, it's an entirely different kind of storytelling. Yeah. And so you can see he's he's creating a new comic book language in this story along with Dark Knight. Yeah, it, it, but it was so well done. Like I just I was I was just sort of watching how he'd put the panels together and 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 it's important to note like this isn't a fast read. Like these are dense and not in a bad way, not like there's too much there, but really squeezing everything out of all those pages at the same time while he's moving really quickly. Essentially, I I didn't find it. I mean, I I flew through this. I flew through it. I don't mean that it's a quick read. No, I, I read it in that way, but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, there's a ton of character development. Yes. There, there are a lot. There's actually just literally a lot of words on the page. There's a lot of story here. It's not, it's not, it's not heavy, but it's not like those ones where, like, it opens up sometimes, like, during a, a, an action scene where there's not a lot of dialogue and there's sound effects and things like that. Yeah. But it's not, it's not you know, the decompressed comics that we would see later with three, four, maybe five panels. Like, they're, they're full pages. This like, is he's, meaty. He's using all and everyone, yes, everyone in it, all of the main characters, Matt, Karen, Foggy, Ben Yurik, who's a big character, Kingpin, they all get an arc. They all get a pretty heavy story. Like, there's a lot going on in, in the book. Ben Yurik's story is just as compelling as almost anybody else's story here. Sure. And he's number five in the call sheet. You know, it, it, there's a lot going on here. Aaron Page gets a story. Glory kind of gets a story The you know, the some of the, the folks involved, you know, in Kingpin's operation gets a story. Nuke gets a story. And then at the end, he writes a new Captain America Daredevil story that made me really wish Frank Miller had written Captain America. You're not kidding. I was really astounded 
I mean, this is Frank Miller at age 29. We're living in Frank Hell's Kitchen making comics is one of the most compelling people making comics of all time, I think. That period. He's so good in this. The only thing I'm loyal to is the dream. Grabs the flag with one hand. I was like, Jesus! Or where he says, sometimes I feel weak because it's just a piece of cloth. And then another time when he finds out that all these bad things have happened with Super Soldier Serum, and there's a great overhead shot of Cap at the computer with mm-hmm. the bodies of the guards he said to knock out behind him. He's just got his hands in his, in his lap, taking it all in. Like, it's incredible. It's a really incredible book. It lives up to every yeah. everything. But one other bit about it that I think is interesting is that we tend to go back and we, we look at 1986 as the, the year of the, the quote-unquote grooming gritty. And as I was reading this, there's definitely some sort of heavy, dark stuff, but there is still a touch of comic book fun. Like, there's a a wink to sort of the 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 noirish language used and you know like i don't feel like it's fully self-serious i mm, guess maybe um it is pretty serious probably compared to the ones that came before it but then when we think about the stuff that aped this afterwards i don't think it had the same like this has its its influences on its sleeve to a certain extent and i was really surprised that we're talking about frank miller who i guess you know it's 29 at the time this is a pre-internet age Yep. He knows a lot of things. Like I, I was like, he writes a really good Irish accent. <laughs> and like, and how would he know to do that? You know, unless he knows a lot of Irish people. He's well, he's living. He was living in Hell's Kitchen. Irish I know. I, you know, just. But like the the point being, like you know, you learn stuff now through internet and podcasts and stuff like that. You know, you, you know, before that, you'd you'd see stuff from movies or from living it, and you you just get a broad scope of influences on a person who is pretty damn young in a place where information was much harder to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was impressive to me, but also I, I thought it was fun. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was rollicking. It wasn't just grim for grim sake. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that in it. I mean, Karen Page's story is pretty grim. Yes. Also interesting. So in the first issue, you know, Matt is daredevil. He's still the semblance of his life. Kingpin destroys it. And then, and then he's not in costume again until the last yeah. issue of the story, the last page of the pre of the second to last issue, mm-hmm. basically the last, like you've got this entire arc. You know, that was monthly for like four or five months where he was just Matt Murdock with, with the stubble stumbling around New York. Can you imagine the letters? I'm very curious what that reaction like was. This? Yeah. I also noticed that for at least three or four issues, the, the book opens with Matt in bed. <laughs> you know, the opening splash page of him either recovering from an injury in bed or asleep. At least well. the first three issues open that way. So Matt loses his job. He's under federal investigation. He His house, his, his apartment building gets blown up disbarred he's disbarred his girlfriend leaves him and starts dating foggy like everything is going wrong for him because kingpin is now dismantling his his, his enemy and kingpin thinks he murders matt by dumping his body in a taxi and sending it over into the river in the classic film noir way but he escapes meanwhile you've got ben yurik investigating things and he gets attacked by kingpin's men he gets traumatized by kingpin's a really awesome sort of frank miller-esque character and then that nurse who's (laughs) his hitman I mean, there's a lot going on. What I loved when Yurik was, like, spiraling, that's when his character got really cartoony-looking. He gets looked like a demon. And that's when I saw, like, a serious polyp with Mazzuccelli in that stuff. You know, he looks way more cartoony. So it was there's a lot going on. And there's some sequences that look straight out of year one. And then there, most of it's this very sort of hybrid style. Okay, yeah. I Actually, I've seen images from this forever, but I really always thought that the image... I thought they were the Frank Miller-drawn comic books. Right. For a really long time. And it looks a lot like the Frank Miller drawn stuff in a way. Like the the inking, I think having not read it, I just expected it to look like year one. Right. 
and it didn't. So I spent a lot of time looking for that. And, and actually, as we get close to the end of it, there was more of that, yes, I think. Yes. It sort of smoothed out a little. And there were a couple pages where I was like, oh, that's directly from it. Not directly, but the style is, is sort of just, just obvious. But the whole time, I could not stop looking at, at what an incredible storyteller he, he is. Mazzuccelli is incredible. There's, there are sequences. The sequence in the hospital room where the hired cops shoot the lady you're just talking about. Yes. And then uh, there's the Ben Urich basically saves himself and, uh, and glory. I went back and read that several times. Yeah. It's an amazing sequence of comic book story. And she is taking pictures the whole time. Right. In the, in, it's like in the uh, elevator. No, they're in like a little cell. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the little holding cell. Yeah. And, 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 and the way that if you look through that, the way that the, I, I, this was the part where before um, the fight starts, there's a lot of um, crosstalk going on in the dialogue. And I was like, this letterer is amazing. The letterer is credited as Joe Rosen. And I was fully prepared to give him tons of credit. Then I went and I looked at the end. You can see the layout pages. Mass Kelly placed all the balloons mm. and drew all the sound effects. Right. So the letterer put the words in there and did a fine job at it. But as far as like the flow and the storytelling, like he he did that on his own. Like he he took control of that too, and it created this incredibly organic sort of thing that at times is hard to follow, but only intentionally so. So in that scene that we're talking about in the in the holding cell, there's a bit where like you see the hand reach back in the middle of another conversation, and it says "chichik" under there, and then yep. two or three word blings later, oh, you don't have to lock that, and and then the next is the gun coming out. It is not only efficient storytelling, like it's super compelling looking. There's a great rhythm to the sound effects. Blam, click, yep. blam, 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 yep. click, blam, click, 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 blam, click, click, yep. blam. It is very intentional in the in the way that this is. If you, if this is a film, you would hear this. It would be this great set, gunshot click of her camera. Gunshot click. It's 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 really great. Yes, I really like the nuke story at the end, and it's great. We're gonna talk about it, but really. What I thought was really successful was the way that everywhere Matt turned, Kingpin had an answer, and the way the claustrophobic nature of it was really visceral. You sure. know, my life isn't being caught in a vice up by the Kingpin, but I've certainly had things go wrong for me every time I've turned around, and so I felt I could relate really strongly to what Matt was going through in a certain way, in a certain emotional way. Like, sure. you know, I can't necessarily relate to him punching a guy on the rooftops, but I can relate to him every time he turns around, he tries to make his life better. It gets worse. It was this suffocating sense of what is he going to do? <laughs> he can't do anything. And then the parallel of Ben Urich trying to do his job at the same time. And because of who the Kingpin is and what he is like, he can't get that done either. Yeah. Every time he turns around, there's another Kingpin. So like there's a the janitor at the Daily bugles, like, hey, we're watching you, buddy. Yeah. And they, you know, they go, they go after his wife and, and he is he's defeated at one point. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it. And then, you know, he hears the person get killed over the phone. The police officer who was who turned because he's trying to save his son and then his son died. And then, the you know, but then also there's a great scene with J. Jonah Jameson. He's like, we don't get intimidated at the Daily Bugle. Yeah, we're going to publish this story. And I was like, you go, J. Jonah Jameson. That page is beautiful. Yeah, with, it's the, just, with the noir shades. Oh, anytime or, uh, Matthew Shelley could do the light through bl through blinds. Jesus was a good time. He did a lot, and it worked every time. Mm -hmm. Frank Miller, you know, a long time ago, we've mentioned this before, a long time ago when we were doing our video show, we were, we were at one point going to rank, you know, all-time people made, who made comics. And, you know, he's, for, say whatever you want about, about him now, but he deserves to be in the conversation in the all-time great category. Oh, yeah. 
he is reinventing comics in the pages of this book along with Batman, right in front of your eyes. And I, I can't imagine what it was like to read this book as comics take a quantum leap forward from the Bronze Age. I mean, he's he clearly he saw something. He saw what comics bet, could be. I bet it felt similar. Can't be the same thing, but the feeling of reading um, Warren Ellis' Authority. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I think we can come to that we experienced. I mean, I, was, I read comics around, I don't say 88, you know, but I was a kid, so I couldn't really appreciate yeah, you them. Yeah, you were reading them all, you know, all the time. And... Yeah. I would say that somewhere between, like, we saw an epoch shift around 2000 with Warren Ellis and Brian Bendis bringing in new storytelling styles that were then aped and sort of went on. And that's close, but this seems bigger than that. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if you would. I don't know if you would have realized it at the time. I'm sure some people did. I bet pros certainly did, or, or you know, like adults. Mm-hmm. Adults weren't all reading comics then. It was you know. Some were but, for sure. But, they were, yeah. but college kids definitely. Yeah. Kingpin is really good in this. Yes. He's still a little bit of like he calls himself the kingpin of crime. Like you know he's, mm-hmm. but he's also he's at this point trying to go legitimate in in that story that they've been doing ever since then. Mm-hmm. But he's gigantic. He's constantly lifting weights. He's beating up his own. Like, he's he's also a compelling character. I think the, the thing that's interesting about this is that, like, a lot of these things I have seen since then. Mm-hmm. I've seen Down and Out Matt. I've seen Womanizing Matt. I've seen, you know, th- us them proving that Kingpin is scary but calm and he's fat but he takes care of himself, you know, and he's strong. And but and a lot of times when that happens, when you've seen something so many times, when you go back to the the thing that started it, that thing seems less than. Mm-hmm. But in this, when we go back to the thing that started, I was like, oh, this is better than all the things that tried to do what it was doing afterwards. Right. Measure- immeasurably so. There's such great dialogue in this. And I say dialogue because a lot, most of the captions are, as we saw from this point forward, the inner thoughts of the <laughs> characters. Uh, there's a scene where Yurik is leaving the police station after he's gotten p- police protection. The big Swede. Whatever I do say is enough to convince him to graft a six-foot Swede to my hip. That is a great line. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's working on a different level than people were. There were other great comics, obviously. Alan Moore yes. was writing at the time. Other people, Claremont was doing in Marv Wolfman, but different kinds of... And this is just a different kind of comic book. Imagine yeah. imagine what a 29-year-old Frank Miller Avengers book would have been like after you see the Avengers briefly at the end of this. <laughs> it would have been yeah. bonkers. It would have been bonkers. Well, like, what was your favorite... I mean, it's all one story, basically. But what was your favorite sort of bit of it? I mentioned that bit with Ben Urich in the the holding cell. Like, I went back and read that a bunch of times, and I was like, "That's amazing." And and also, notably, Daredevil has nothing to do with it. And mm-hmm. I just kept reading sort of how that was done. You know, the stuff with Nuke. That's a character who, anytime he's shown up since then, I'm like, "Ugh, I can't stand this character." <laughs> And the reason is, and now I know why he shows up, because everybody saw, you know, whoever it is read this and was like, I got to do something with him someday. But this is just better. And the way that he was, like, they had to have Captain America show up to react to him in a certain way and have compassion for him mm-hmm. at the same time. So it was a sad Captain America, oddly enough. Yes. Like, when he shows up, you know, Daredevil's like, I'm in trouble. I know it is. And, he, and it's not. It's Captain America trying to come to terms with it on his own. I liked all that, all that stuff. The the uh, another uh, I, was, I was talking about how um like it's stuff that we've seen in in the past, but has never been that this is better. Uh, the Foggy and Matt stuff is great in that. I think Foggy and his relationship in this is really great. In that, like Foggy's not mad at him. He's not like this is enough. I've had enough, which is pretty much what we've read since then. Right. I feel like I think Foggy is very quietly one of the best characters in this this story. Yeah. 
there's a bit where he's hanging out with Glory, and then that's also awkward because he's he's they don't say it, but they basically intimate that he's you know there's a relationship going on between them. It's very indirect for most of it. I can't remember if this is a time where it was direct, but for most it of unfolds it, slowly because she's just left Matt. Yeah, it's implied though. He's clearly liked her before, as we saw in, in the in the issue from the previous. She's beautiful and she's Irish, and you yeah. know how that goes. You know, it's a very organic thing where she, at first it's because she doesn't know where else to go. She just and you know Matt's life's falling apart and that's affecting her life, and then it they just sort of hang out and have dinner and go shopping, and they're just all of a sudden they're in a, in a relationship. It's never really talked about. Matt goes back to Karen. He never really says, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" Right. I, but th- there's one of those bits though where he's he's talking about it and he's you know he's defending Matt in a way, but not not like not like you should take him back. But he's he's saying you know what that you know there was this one time in college you should have seen him back then and like he loves the guy. Yeah. And that that really came through. I thought I, I also thought there's a bunch of this in here that I was like all of the things that I've always said are extra great about Garth Ennis's character and relationship work I see in here. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. It's not the same style of writing at the end of the day, but the way that those characters were portrayed and the way that their relation I haven't seen a lot of other people do that the way that Garth Ennis does. And I saw a lot of it in here with that Foggy and Glory stuff and with, you know, with Matt Murdock. Yeah, Foggy's never mad at Matt. And Matt's done nothing wrong, but he's, he's true. never mad at him. He swoops in. He, he represents, represents him in court very well. He tries his best to help when he, you know, in any way he can. Most of he can't, but he's just there emotionally for him. And he, you know. He's a great character. There's a scene in in if you're looking at the book, it's page 159. After the the first nuke shows up and shoots a bunch of people, and and there's people are convalescing in the church. Mm-hmm. The third panel is just all these people laying down in the pews, and the, and the word balloons are all over the place. But there's a story that goes on in between there, and Foggy finds his way to glory. And there's this little weird thing where she's like, "I need to ask you a favor. You got to you know take this film to the Daily Bugle." It's almost like they break up for a second. Maybe that's not in that scene. Oh, they, yeah, that's it. She's, you know, she's asking to bring the, the film to the Daily Bugle. And he's kind of like, okay, you, you know, you should go to the hospital. And she's just take them over there. And he's like, well, I'll be seeing you, sweetie. And she's like, sure, Foggy, I'll call you. I don't know. But it was just, it was, it was subtle. It, basically, I, I read it back a few times. I was like, what's going on here? Not in a confusing way. It's just those little character bits. I think we're really stuck. The dialogue, that's another example. It's just super strong. One thing that came through, not as strongly as in The Dark Knight, but it was more of an undercurrent, is that clearly Frank Miller's disdain for New York at the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, totally. 86, I was living in New York. I was alive. It was a rougher place than it is now, much rougher. Mm-hmm. He's gone on record saying, you know, a lot of this came out of being horribly mugged and beaten up when he was living there. And so a lot of his Dark Knight stuff came out of that. But here, you know, New York is not a great place. At one point, Foggy and Glory are Christmas shopping. And somebody tries to grab her purse and she fights back and the guy tries to stab her. Meanwhile, everyone's just walking past them. And I was like, yep, there's Frank Miller who wrote The Dark Knight. Yeah. Right there. I love that she that she was having none of that shit. Because she's from Belfast during the Troubles. <laughs> right. But yeah, so once Daredevil is born again, you know, he comes back. He saves Karen from her creepy guy that's got her under his sway. And he gets... Paolo. To- Paolo, the Italian with gray skin, he gets his life back in some way. He puts the costume back on. He he reasserts his life from Kingpin. And then we get the one one or two issues. Is it one issue of the nuke story? Uh, it's a couple because there's the one where he shows up in Hell's Kitchen, and then there's the one where he breaks out. 
So Nuke is a character we've seen a lot in comics. He's the guy who got Super Soldier Serum, or version of it, because they never, they never got to crack it. I looked it up. I, this was this was his first appearance, which I didn't. I, I was wanted to make sure. So at, uh, throughout the issue, Kingpin's trying to hire people to kill Daredevil. He hires a, a, a string of psychopaths. So at the end, he goes, bring me Nuke. And so he calls up a general who he has blackmail material on, and they send in Nuke, who's got the face tattoo of the American flag and the blonde hair, and he's got machine guns, and he's being pulled out of... The jungle, wherever the jungle he is in the jungle, 86, Vietnam was well over. Could have been in South America. To come to Hell's Kitchen and kill Daredevil. Obviously, it goes out of control. They start destroying Hell's Kitchen. The Avengers show up. There's a great sequence with Iron Man and Thor and Captain America. Subtle. I thought I was like, oh, the Avengers are going to fight. And I was like, no, we just get this one page. And it was great. Great Thor. Thor is great. The rain starts falling so hard it hurts. I was like, oof. So then it becomes Captain America's problem because this guy is basically Captain America light. And it's not so much a team up as a. Two characters at similar purposes. Mm-hmm. But all the Cap stuff was incredible with the generals. Yeah. He's not really with them, but he's Captain America, so what can they do? And he's like, you're one of us. And you're, the scene you talked about, I'm loyal to nothing general except the dream, which is like, you know, chum in the water for Cap fans. I also noticed that every time that they show Cap, he stands at attention like a soldier. Mm-hmm. Like his posture is soldier. I know that that is, you know. He's ramrod straight. Right. Like it's exaggerated in a way that. I noticed it, you know, and I've seen Captain, you know, you're not used to seeing him slouching, but it was like he was in the general's, you know, office and he's standing up straight, but he still speaks truth to power. That mm-hmm. that panel where he grabs the flag, I just kept looking at it. Like, I want this page. This page is beautiful. And there's not Daredevil in it, but I'm sure. He tries no not to resent page. the computers. Only an old man would. <sighs> that was beautiful. But and then, you know, he finds out that there's been a whole string of people who've been gotten the serum and they're all dead except for Nuke. And, and then he has to take Nuke out. And there's a great fight sequence with him and Nuke where they go crashing through walls. And But, but he also, he doesn't, he doesn't want to hurt, he feels compassion for Nuke because yeah. Nuke has been destroyed by this program where he's turned into the psychopath who's been given amphetamines to go shoot people with machine guns. And so he, when he, he subdues Nuke, but then he's like, on your feet, soldier, I'm going to get you to the hospital, you know? And then all the guys who were flying the helicopters who were shooting at them... He, he's now in command of that helicopter, which was weird. Who? Or no, those soldiers are there to get Nuke. That's yeah, what it is. They try to kill Nuke. And they then sh- they Daredevil shoot him, they flies in from out of nowhere. Right. And gets Nuke in a cab and drives a cab even though he's blind. Like, it was all kinds of great stuff. That was great. The panel just before, the panel at the end of that where Daredevil jumps in, where the there's one, two, three, four, five, there's six soldiers, and they go, sir, we can't look. <laughs> I respect that, Lieutenant. And they all stop. That panel is amazing. There's seven people in that panel, and they're all beautifully rendered, and like their poses are like their his anatomy is amazing. This is one issue. This is one issue with Nuke, a uh, Nuke and Cap. I mean, oh, okay. And then there's a great two full page shots to, at the end of the issue, uh, in between one other page where he drops Nuke on Ben York's desk. That's a great page. It is with the water pooling everywhere, and then you know the ending of the story is Matt with his. Sunday best sweater on with Karen and they're happily walking through a rebuilding uh, Hell's Kitchen with Mazzuchelli's signature at the bottom. And that's 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 the I'm, capper. I stared. I stared at that page because one thing, they don't really look all that out of time right there. No, they could be right now. Yeah, that draw like and it's funny because if you look all right, say that you go read we talked about this all the time, if you talk about Alan Davis or something like that, and right. you read his stuff, it's like well, everybody looks like they're from the eighties. This book looked pretty fucking timeless to me. Yes. There was not a ton of like, ooh, that's not, that's not like, it's, 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 a, I don't know, I don't know how he got away with that timelessness. It's a very modern, I mean, we know this, Mazzuchelli is a genius. But I know, but even the, book. but even the way that like the, the hair and the characters are drawn, like he didn't, 
he didn't make it of the time. He didn't try to put like a mullet on Matt or anything like that. It's just <laughs> right. sort of a classic. No gimmicks needed. None. Well, not until the 90s and they had an armor to his costume, but that's not Matt's choice fault. <laughs> I was blown away. I probably read this when I was a kid. There's a lot of things you remember yeah. don't, don't really affect you the way you, as an adult, who's, adult who spent 20 years analyzing comics has. I couldn't put it down. I did at one point. I, I read, ironically, because there's so much back matter in this collection, mm-hmm. I thought I was like halfway, two-thirds way through the book. I put it down mm-hmm. for the last issue. <laughs> I was like, oh, mm-hmm. there's a lot left. I got to run and do something. It was, it was literally the start of the Captain America issue when I stopped. Do you spend time looking at those layouts in the back matter, by the way? Oh, yeah. And there's the script pages in the back. Yeah. Oh, the script pages are great. That Frank did on the typewriter. Yeah. I mean, but they're like, they read like, a novel they're economical yep they're really great and then you know if you look at the layouts that Mazzucchelli did like i don't know that they're thumbnails or not but like all the anatomy all the shape like it's all right there mm-hmm. oh he's such a good draftsman it's crazy yeah so this is the entire script for that nuke issue yeah it's crazy that might have been the best issue there's a lot of great issues but this might have it, been the best d- it definitely had like a culmination kind of like everything coming together and blowing up and and this cap know. was so good yes it was it's so good it is interesting to go back and read the foundational elements of what you're reading now because there, this is still not exactly like this anymore because we had the decompression era that came in and mm-hmm. now you've got the sort of muddled hybrid storytelling style. But this is basically how comics are written now. I feel like this is what everyone's trying to do. Yeah. The first person narration, this is where it all came from. And it's also like it's clear that like everybody who wrote Daredevil after this had this in mind. Mm-hmm. It must have been really hard not to. And I and when I first got back into comics, I was reading Kevin Smith's, you know, Marvel Knights Daredevil. Mm-hmm. That was a goddamn love letter. This. Yeah, and the thing is, there's been a lot of great runs on Daredevil. Yeah. This was not even Frank Miller's first run. He had an original run yeah, that yeah. you know sort of saved the character from cancellation originally, and he came back for this one. You had Kevin Smith. You had Mark Wade. You had Ed Brubaker. You had Brian Bendis. You had five or six really classic runs of Daredevil. It must be the allure of Frank Miller's Daredevil. Well, what's funny is that I originally, a long time ago, bought the Frank Miller Daredevils were coming out in the trades. Mm-hmm. And I think I have three of them. And I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Like, I, I really like, you know, I, that was the it's the Daredevil Electra story. So it was sort of a classic thing I wanted to have read. And he didn't draw. No, he didn't write the first parts of it. And then later he drew and wrote. And it was good. Like, I could tell. I'm going to go back. I should go back and read it. Well, you can see here that, like I said, with the issue before, it's not written like this. Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't blown away. And that might have been one of the reasons I just never did this. Mm -hmm. Because I just thought, you know, those, you know, I read those. I'm glad I did. But they didn't blow me away or anything. This is so much better than that. (laughs) I always tend to think that the best Frank Miller Daredevil story is Electra Bullseye stuff. It's not. This is so much better than that. Mm -hmm. He drew some of that. He started in 79. On Daredevil. So yeah. He was, he was 22 yeah. when he started writing Daredevil. That's all how old Garth Ennis was when he started doing like Hellblazer and stuff. Right. He was 23 maybe when he started Preacher. Ten issues later, he was writing and drawing it. <laughs> he finished his original run in 191 in 83. So he was gone for three years. What's interesting too is if you think about Frank Miller... He definitely underwent his transformation at a certain point. And I, I mean this stylistically. I don't mean ideologically or any of that stuff. This stuff, this Daredevil stuff and Dark Knight Returns, super dense. It's mm-hmm. kind of like I, I like I use the word swirling. Like just a lot of stuff happening at once and sort of, you know, you'll be looking at something and another voice comes in for a second. Then you go back to what you were doing. And then he stripped all that down a lot. Mm-hmm. 
to sort of what he would do. I don't want to say now because now is different. I don't know. It, it doesn't work the same way now as it did then. But, you know, like it's just a marked sort of change from sort of where he ended up. But the, what he did here with putting in s- such a dense amount of content worked really well, but it must be exhausting. I mean, as a reader, I never felt overwhelmed. There's certainly comics from this era that make you feel overwhelmed, and there's comics from mm-hmm. any era. I mean, I still joke about that first issue of Superman from the movie, too, which still made me feel tired to think about it. But there's a lot here, but because of the quality, like I always say, yeah, no, that, the yeah. quality of the words is more important than the number of the words. And this is he's got the best words here. He just says the best words, and everybody's <laughs> hands are right size. It's all yeah. good. I mean, no, no matter how many captions or a thing, it's all really compelling. He's dived deep into noir. It's with just a Yurik. Yurik has his own voice, and then his captions are all in, like, typewriter set, and his voice is great. He's the hard-nosed, hard-boiled noir reporter. Like, everyone has their own distinct narration. Is this the first sort of Ben Yurik as this? I don't I'm know. trying to remember if he was in the, the earlier stuff. I think he was. I'm sure he was. Yeah, I mean, he he's, he had been around for 10 years or eight years at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but you've got to believe that this is all a leveling up for all these characters. Sure. No, absolutely. I think everyone needs to read this. Yeah. I think everyone needs to read this. It's not Dark Knight or Watchmen, but it's right underneath that. Well, I, I, I would have considered, historically, I've considered year one a I guess more accessible than Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. but that's actually two years later, and it's when it came out. Right. But if you like Year One and haven't read this, that doesn't make sense. Boy, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's like I, 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 I feel like a like a, wow, I blew it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of comics, and this book doesn't get overshadowed. I don't want to say that because yep, Marvel historically has had fewer books that you could point to that are all-time classics that you could hand someone in a, in a single volume. That's always sort of been DC's Ballywick. Mm-hmm. Marvel has them, but not as many. But this is one of them. Do you think this stands out stronger to you, though, from a craft standpoint than anything else? That's mm-hmm. the only thing I would take away from that, is that as watching this now, again, after sort of having to talk about comics the way that we do for the last 20 years, the craft of it was astounding. It was still compelling to me, and it was fun for all those reasons, but I don't know that the no, layperson will no, necessarily I don't think so i mean it, okay. it's definitely there but the, what the craft results in is a really compelling daredevil story i mean if the craft is working then you won't necessarily notice to still enjoy it so there's that yeah and the, and the story's great this yeah. is the foundational daredevil story daredevil been around for a long time but this is the story that sort of all daredevil stories come from after this yes absolutely so i mean if you're a daredevil fan this is i mean and you haven't read this you need to go get it right now it's a it's amazing that they could bollocks up that first movie as bad as they did yeah. With all the great stuff they had to work with. Yeah. I mean, in a way, everyone's chasing this. Still. Everyone's still chasing these I know artists are. Yeah. Mazzucchelli on this and on, you know, like Mazzucchelli's mainstream comic book work, I feel like is, I know about because it it's the way that re- artists talk about it. Like the reverential sort of, look at what that guy's done. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be hard pressed to find a guy who's better. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I was literally at a party last night, and we were in Mike Romo's house, our old iFanboy buddy, and we were looking at his comics and pulled out a serious polyp and showing uh, my buddy's fiance the book, and she was loving the art. I was like, now this guy did this, and I pulled out year one. I was like, it's the same guy. He's astounding. Year one's my favorite art style. I I love this art. But year one, like, is just like, take all of it away. And just make it, you know, as succinct and beautiful as possible. Only with just the lines you need. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I did come out of this going. I gotta read Asterius Polyp again. I, it's been a little while. I don't think I read it since it came out. 
No, I, I know I haven't. I know I read it like a second time because we did a show about it or did something because it was book of the year. Mm, maybe. I think I wrote that, so I had to like study it more, but so it's look, been a while. I, I would like to make sure this is understood. This is this is a craft tour de force. It's also a rollicking good time reading. It's a really fun comic. So don't think we're saying this is like a dry craft exercise. Like This is a really incredibly fun comic. Incredibly compelling I couldn't put it down. And and what I was saying before, but when I when when I was saying, you know, like it is grim and gritty, but not like grim and gritty sometimes isn't fun. This is fun and that is yeah. kind of the point. Like it was still it's still a comic book, you yeah. know? It wasn't trying to prove to me that comics aren't for kids anymore. It was just trying to prove to me that comics could be good and fun all it's at the same it's time. It's mature. Again, it's in that nebulous time where one age is ending. And another, it's beginning, so it's it's birthing it, and so there's a little bit of both in it. There's a little bit of Bronze Ageiness stuff, but there's a lot more Modern Age stuff in it. God, it's a good looking book, though. Mm-hmm. And it's got that really iconic cover. I don't think I realize or think about how iconic that cover is until I was looking at all the variant versions of it in the back. Mm. That shot of Matt and Karen in the church—that's just a very iconic piece. Yeah, his composition, his page composition, and just sort of. In addition to just the storytelling, is uh, just wonderful. Yeah, the, <laughs> this collection, this this one we have is the black cover. I believe it came out in 07. Yeah, it's kind of old, but it's, it's just been reprinted. No, a bunch. 2000. This is 2018. The seventh printing of this. <laughs> if you're into process, man, this back matter is terrific. These sketch pages. I never read that stuff, and I was I was right on this. Look at page 97. That first panel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Look at the triangle that's sort of mixed with the perspective. It's it's sort of hinting at a holy trinity at the same time, but it all just fits in with the actual visual perspective on the art. I got, mm-hmm. Who does that? That's incredible. Who does that? That's amazing. Page 99, I like to point out that Matt is still an Irish kid from Hell's Kitchen because he's got the giant gold cross yep. <laughs> showing. He talks about the gold cross a lot. Right, but like, you know, we sometimes forget he's like, you know, mm-hmm. he could have been a Westie. It's true. Just another mix. So, Daredevil Born Again, David Miller and David Mazzucchelli. How do you say Is it Mazzucchelli or Mazzucchelli? I'm not sure, but it's definitely Frank Miller, not David Miller. It's not David Miller? Are we sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm reading it. That was his pen name. I'm guessing that no one's ever got Mazzucchelli's name right. Frank Miller, David Mazzucchelli, Dennis Yankee did some of the art in 226. Christy Scheel and Richmond Lewis were colorists. Joe Rosen was a letterer. Ralph Macchio, that's how you say his like name. like the color in this, too. Is the editor. Yes. Color's great. It gets kind of psychedelic at some points. Yeah. But it's not I don't know. It's it's the it's the color's right. Again, it's it feels timeless in that way. Go get it. Yep. Go get it, people. Go get it now. Alright, so are we doing ratings? Do we even have to? Five. Five? I mean okay. can I go higher? <laughs> five point five? Five point two five? <laughs> Ten. Five stars. All the stars five you can star. give. Whatever the rating scale you get, it's it'll fill the scale. Born Again, one of the great Marvel stories, one of the great Daredevil stories. It will reinforce to you that 86 was the most important year in comics, other than the creation of comics, and yep. that Frank Miller is legitimate legend. Yep. Comic book legend. So check it out. Go to ifanboy.com. There'll be posts for this show if you want to talk about it. But if you don't, there's still shows there. You can find our Pick League podcast, where Josh and I talk about the week's new books and all of our special edition shows. The, the Talks Blowed show that we should mention this show was unlocked by our patrons over patreon.com slash ifanboy they also unlocked the talksplode josh's interview show that switches off with this show which will be coming out next month and we'll be back in two months with another book 
to talk about. What's the point? Yeah, what is the point? It's gonna, whatever it is, gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you place this on the boarding in scale? Less. <laughs> Until then, I'm Connor. Josh. I mean, let's be do year one. All right then. You gotta be lost to be found. Hard to be fair when you fight when the devil spins the world around. It's hard to be nice when you lose when the devil spins the world around. And wish you were thunder and light when the devil spins the world around. Oh yeah, stuck with the blue when the devil spins the world around. You gotta be lost to be found when the devil spins the world around. You gotta be lost to be found when the devil spins the world around. You gotta be lost to be found when the devil spins the world around. And it isn't what it ain't Doesn't matter what it was Cause you know it's gonna keep on